Anyone making New Year's resolutions? I got one for you. The best one. More prayer. Not sure it's really a resolution, but prayer is a constant necessity. Pray continually, says the Lord. Why? Why the necessity of prayer? I can promise you one thing in 2019. I said this last year, but I'll say it again. It's, it's worth repeating every year. We are at war. We need prayer because we are at war. Look at verse 23. When they, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, the word, verb, released, important verb, it really sets the context. It sets the context. They were released because they were captured. They were captured by the church in Jerusalem. And we read in verses 5 through 6 in chapter 4, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Sapphias and John and Alexander and all who were the high priestly caste. They came, they gathered these men. They gathered James and Peter, and they persecuted them. They, they beat them. They warned them not to preach in Christ's name, and then they released them. The Belgic Confession states that there are three marks of a false church. There are three marks of a true church. There are three marks of a false church. Two of those marks are this. The false church assigns more authority to itself than to the word of God. And the false church persecutes the true church. And that is what is happening in this text. The false church in Jerusalem, with its own authority, captured Peter and James. And by their own authority, they never consult. When you read it, when you read chapter 4, you notice these Jerusalem leaders, they never consult God's word in how to deal with the brothers. Rather, they appeal to their own authority, and then they persecute them. And then they warn them not to preach in Christ's name again. What we see in this verse, what we see in this verb, released, what we find in this verb, released, is the enmity of Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between your offspring... The offspring of the serpent, the false church. I will put enmity between you and the offspring of the woman, the true church of Christ. And that's what you see in this verb, release. Become a Christian, and I can promise you one thing. War. Try to be a Christian by yourself, and I promise you one thing. Defeat. We need the church. As our fathers have called the church on earth, militant. We are the church militant. We need the church for battle. You can't fight sin alone. You need your brothers, your sisters. You need the church to help hold you accountable. 
You can't fight depression alone. You need your brothers, your sisters, the church to come and bring the light of truth and the gospel and love and care and encouragement in your darkness. You can't fight adversity alone. You need the church. And hear this, you can't fight prosperity alone. You need the church when you're prosperous to ground you in reality, the prosperity, the health, and the wealthness, and the wealth can lie to you. It can make you think that this is all it's about. But the church is there calling you to serve and to give tithes and give treasures, give your blessings, reminding you what it's really about, what life is really about. Solo Dio Gloria, the glory of God, that is what we live for. That is our existence. The army of one may have been a good marketing campaign for the army, but no soldier goes to war alone. The army needs the army. The Marines need the Marines. And the Navy, they need Marines too. Christians need the church. The good fight of faith is not a solo mission. The church militant must be together. And we need to be together. We need to gather for prayer. Peter and James, notice, they don't go it alone. They're released and they went where? To their friends. They go to the church and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. These friends are the true church in Jerusalem. And the danger, danger drove these Christians to the church. Danger drove Peter and James. Apostles, extraordinary men. But danger drove them to the church. They went for help. You're not alone. Don't try to be. The church militant must gather Verse 24, and when they heard it, when the church heard it, they lifted their voices together. They lifted their voices together to God. Now, the Greek here is very interesting. It literally says in the Greek, I translated this literally for you. And when they heard it, with one mind, they lifted a voice to God. When they heard it, with one mind, they lifted a voice, singular, to God. They heard it plural. The church all heard the news, heard of the danger, heard of the persecution, yet raised one voice, singular. This is the Bible's way of emphasizing this truth. The church must be one together. They were one together in prayer. This is public prayer. Private prayer is another text, another scripture. This is corporate, public, churchly prayer. The church militant must gather in prayer. The early church gathered to God for help. And prayer was more than just a characteristic of the early church. As we study Acts, we're going to see that the whole church turned to prayer. They were together with prayer. Prayer was top priority to this early church. Top priority to the church because they were at war. That prayer will become really important 
in about 100 years for the church from this date, not even 100, maybe more like 40 years, they're literally going to be at war almost. And prayer is our stronghold of safety. Listen to Joel, the prophet Joel 2. Joel 2.32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And they call upon the name of the Lord. This is a fallen world. And by prayer, God's providence through which he watches over, by which he guards our life, it is ours. We are in our fallen nature. We're fallen. We're sinners. And by prayer, God's power through which he sustains us is ours. There is no victory apart from a praying church. By prayer, his goodness through which he receives us is ours. Prayer reminds us and calls forth the promise of God to never leave or forsake us. And we don't change by prayer. We don't, excuse me, we don't change God by prayer. I gave him my punchline. We don't change God by prayer, but prayer, through prayer, God changes us. Prayer gives us hope to face our enemy, knowing that God is there. He will not leave or forsake us. Prayer always reminds us of that because we can turn to God, right? And he's there. He will not forsake it reminds us that he has the will and the power to overcome and take care of us. And since prayer is so important, prayer is so important to the early church, we need to look closely at this early church and their prayer life. We need to learn to pray like this early church, right? We want to follow the church in Acts, right? We want to do what the church in Acts does. We, we want to pray like the church. So we need to look closely at this prayer. First thing we notice in this prayer is that they prayed to a sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, together with God, they said, verse 24, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. The church gathers under a sovereign God. They, they gathered under the sovereignty of the Lord as they addressed our sovereign Father in heaven. Sovereign Lord. Armenians often challenge us here. They'll say, why pray if God is sovereign? How do you respond? Why pray if he is not? Think about it. If God has to wait on the freedom of man, if he has to wait on the freedom of will before he acts... Now think about it. If that's God, he has to wait. And if that man is at enmity with the church, if that man is at odds with the church and he uses his freedom of the will against the church, is God therefore bound by the enemy? I don't see any other way around it for the Arminian. Thankfully, they're wrong. I like Luther here. Satan's God, Satan, Luther says. Satan is God, Satan. 
God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Creation answers to God. No creature, every creature in his hand, no creature can move without his will, without his power. God is sovereign. And that's our confidence in prayer, is it not? We pray because he is sovereign. We pray because he can help in every moment. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We have confidence because our God is almighty and a gracious Father. Let us have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He brings help because he is almighty and because he is faithful. Now, next thing we notice, they not only pray to a sovereign, they also pray with his own word. They're praying, verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Not only do they raise one voice to God, they they raise God's voice to God. We're going to notice, and I hope you're already beginning to see, that the early church was all about the word of God. These people are sola scriptura people. So you find the word even in their prayer. The word even guides their prayer. There's no greater security than God's word. There's therefore no greater power in prayer than the prayer that relies on the promises of God. Prayer that relies on God's word. Biblical prayer, people. We need biblical prayer. Biblical prayer is the kind of prayer that we can find hope. The church can can hope we'll receive what we're praying for because we're praying in accordance with God's word. James says, you pray, you do not receive because you don't pray. You ask. He says, you ask wrongly. You don't receive in prayer because you ask wrongly. So we learn in God's word there's a right and wrong way to pray. We want to pray rightly. How should the church pray? Well, we learn here, first off, that we pray to a sovereign. And I must add this bringing in scripture. Our prayers must be Trinitarian. That's the first point of good Christian prayer. Christian prayer is Trinitarian prayer. We have a Trinitarian faith. We don't have much Trinitarian practices. Think about it. Trinitarian faith, so important to Christianity, but there are not many Trinitarian practices. Think about that. Prayer is one. Prayer is where we practice Our Trinitarian faith. Jesus taught us to pray like this because the disciples asked him, Hey, hey, Messiah, God, man, how do we pray? Jesus said like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's the sovereignty. There's the power. There's the glory. Our Father. This is my thing, but we need to be praying to our Father, right? We're starting to lose that in our day and age. I hear Christians, not here, but as I've taught in Christian schools and stuff, I've gathered with Christians to prayer, and I hear a lot of people praying to Jesus. Dear Jesus, and I love that they want to focus on Christ, and that's great, but how does Jesus teach us to pray? We need to pray Trinitarian. We don't have, and the reason I make such a big deal of this is because our Trinitarian faith There's not many places we can practice it, but the one place we need to practice it is prayer. Our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name. 
Now, recognize the Holy Spirit's not there, but we're praying by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to recognize that as we're praying. So, Trinitarian prayer. We need reverential prayer. Second point. Right? Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. We need to be in the proper position. We need to have the proper position in prayer. And that is a position of humility. We need to pray to a sovereign God. We need to memorize biblical language that talks about the sovereignty, the power, and the might of God. And and open up in prayer like that. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, creator of heaven and earth. Our Father who holds all creation in his hand and nothing moves without his will. Our God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to use this reverential language and we need to be reverent before God. I know when I became Reformed, I I started picking up on this in the Reformed church and the prayers of the church and the reverence and all that the church carries with it. And it's really changed my faith. I recognize that God loves me, that God cares for me, that he's near, that I'm his child. But I also recognize and keep in bear, bear in fact that he's still God. He's not safe, right, as C.S. Lewis said. He's not safe. He is God. He loves me. He cares for me. He's God. Holy, holy, holy. It's really changed my perception of my faith and my life and my practices. I basically, what I've learned is to fear the Lord. Have a right fear of the Lord. It protects us. So don't we sing those Jesus is my lover praise songs and... They sound more like Jesus is my boyfriend music. Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. I remember when those t-shirts came out. I don't think you see them anymore, but I was in college and I was like, those got to be terrible. There's just something wrong with them. I didn't have good theology then, but I was like, there's something wrong with that. Little Jesus bobbleheads. He's God. So you know how Peter throws paint on the furs that people, I started throwing paint on the Jesus is my homeboy shirt. No, I'm just kidding. That's a good idea though. Just, ah! Third thing, know your need. You need to know your need. You need to bring specific prayer to God. Your specific prayers, he answers specific needs. And here's what's important for the church. We're talking about the church. You need to bring those specific needs of the church. That's why we have the tradition in our second service. We take prayer requests, do we not? And then we send out an email with those prayer requests, do we not? We pray specifically. Bring specific prayers before the Lord. Bring them to church so we can answer need. Fourth thing, we need to pray with humility. Reverence will equal humility. Sometimes God, and often God, will say no. And we have to learn to accept it. We might pray for healing. He'll say no. We might pray for a new job. He might say no. But we recognize that his no is right, and we trust the Lord. And that leads us to the fifth point of good churchly prayer, confidence. We need to trust that God loves to care for his children. We believe he hears us. We know he answers. Even when he answers with a no, he's answering. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so here this early church, they prayed God's word and they prayed Psalm 2. 
Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointing. This is Psalm 2. And then they do something very unique, verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. They're doing, they're doing something very interesting in their prayer here. That adverb truly is very important. You like to underline your Bible? That's a good verb, adverb to underline, truly. Because in truth, it's not an adverb. In the Greek, it's a noun. It gets translated as an adverb here because it won't, doesn't quite make sense as a noun. But in the Greek, it emphasizes something as a noun. It emphasizes that Psalm 2 truly is, or that the church, rather, truly is a fulfillment of Psalm 2. They are claiming Psalm 2 they are claiming that they had just they are claiming that they have just witnessed weeks ago Psalm 2 when Christ was crucified the church here is claiming that was Psalm 2 and thus they are finding the origin of the church in the Old Testament so according to this prayer the raging Gentiles against Jesus were the Romans. And truly, verse 27, For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So the raging Gentiles were the Romans who sentenced Jesus. And the peoples are those who plotted against the Messiah. That's the Jews. And the kings that set themselves up against Jesus are Herod, Antipas, Tetrarch of Galilee, a Jew, and Pontius Pilate, a Gentile ruler. It was a church-state thing. There was no church, separation of church and state here. It was the church acting with the state, the state acting with the church to kill Jesus, to kill the Messiah. This is the enmity of Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. The point is this. The true church fights against the false church. And the false church uses the state every time. Because church doesn't have power. Church doesn't have like a sword. But you know who has a sword and tanks and all kinds of gear? Especially these days. The state. And it's happening now. China's persecuting the church. North Korea's persecuting the church. Middle East persecuting the church. Now you might say, hey, there's no church, you know, state corroboration in China and North Korea. It's still ideology, ideology. It's communist ideology, which is very religious, joining the state and attacking Christians. It's happening. It's happened all throughout the church's history. Could happen here one day. So I get nervous when people are like, we need to bring the church and state together. I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm okay, for I'm okay for the church and the state as long as I'm the president and I'm the minister of the country. I'll go for it. You let me be the president and the minister, 
And we'll stone all the army. Uh, no. Just kidding. See, you don't even want me to be in charge. You don't even want good theology in charge. Does this sound scary? You know what's scarier? God. That's the point of Psalm 2. Listen to Psalm 2, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. It's a laughter of judgment. As the church, state, cooperation, false church attacks Christ, attacks his anointed, attacks his church, the Lord laughs in derision. He says it's a pitiful response, you weak. Worthless. It's weak. We are strong. Not in ourselves, but we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Here in this psalm, the church finds proof of her divine origin. We are the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We're the fulfillment of the Old Testament, people. And so when you read the Old Testament, we sing a lot of the psalms. And when you sing the psalms, I've noticed some of you come up to me recently and through the psalms, especially if you have a better translation, and you say, hey, there's a lot of wrath in these psalms, isn't there? There's a lot of God against this and God attacking this and God fighting. Those are all promises. The promises of, 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 of his wrath. He's storing up his wrath. In the Old Testament, it's a picture of God storing up his wrath. And that wrath that he is storing up is for our protection. God stands against the world, against his church. God is our confidence in a fallen world, and we can find that confidence in prayer. Verse 28, and they pray, Lord, do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. To do whatever your hand, that's his power. They pray to a sovereign who has a powerful hand. He can do whatever his hand desires, but it's his will that guards his hand, and your plan had predestined to take place. Power and will. He has all power. He has the will to do with that power as he pleases. And we pray to a God who is powerful for his church and who is predestined to care for us, predestined to protect, to provide, to bless, and we have access to that power and will through prayer. And God is a great king who's promised war. I will put enmity. That's war decree. Genesis 3.15 is a war decree. I will put enmity. And God doesn't simply just defend his church, right? He's not just like in a defense posture. But God is offensive. God is offensive. You see in Psalm 2, he's decreed that his king would rest in peace over his defeated enemy. Psalm 110, he further elaborates, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. God is now going to the ends of the earth to conquer. And the church militant gathers in prayer for victory. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon your threats. Excuse me. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak. To speak your word with all boldness. The word of the Lord. It's a double-edged saber. The word of the Lord, a double-edged saber that God strikes his enemy with. The gospel 
is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the gospel. And through that sword, the Lord strikes the heart of the unbeliever. And he kills the unbeliever. And then the scepter of the gospel raises him to new life. Puts away that old man by the sword of the gospel and by the scepter of righteousness rules over his life by raising him from the dead and causing him to live for the kingdom of God. That's the war. God is conquering sinners. God is conquering hearts. God is building his church. That's the war. So we need to be in prayer for the boldness of the gospel proclaimed. You need to pray for your ministers. You need to pray for me, your minister. You need to pray for our missionaries. Our church needs to be praying for missionaries. We need to be praying for church plants. Everybody got one of those church maps? There's one back there. If you need one, let me know. There's a missionary church map. Children, are your parents praying with a missionary church map? From the mouth of babes. You're going to get in trouble. I'm just kidding. The church's might is the gospel. We must pray for the gospel. Every Saturday night, and I don't do this perfectly, so I don't want to sound like I'm a hero in the story, but every Saturday night I try to pray because I know tomorrow's the Lord's day. At night before I lay my head down, I think tomorrow's the Lord's day, and I pray, Lord, your gospel's being proclaimed. Build your church tomorrow. Build it in Missoula and beyond. Pray Saturday night for the church. May the kingdom of God grow stronger today. Pray for your witness. I know many of you talk about how you find it hard to share your faith and your witness and you have friends and families you want to know the Lord. Maybe you have friends that know the Lord, go to churches, but you just see them, you would like to see them in a better church perhaps. Pray. If you, if you, if you don't feel like you can open your mouth and talk to them just yet, just continue just to pray for them. You trust that prayer. Prayer wields the gospel. Prayer wields the gospel with power that it might strike the heart of the enemy and make new life. Prayer is the shield of our soul. Prayer protects. It's the power of a sovereign. Prayer emboldens. It causes us to fight. causes us to stand. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand, they say. While you stretch out your hand, they're, they're, they're praying for the word of the God, God to go forth with the hand of God. And while you stretch out your hand, I love that, to heal. That's what the gospel does. That's what the word does. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying for the power of the world to come. It's an Armenian prayer. I mean, uh, not an Armenian prayer, sorry. It's an all-millennial prayer. <laughs> all-millennial prayer. Let the gospel go forth, claim the nations, and with that assurance came. As they prayed for the powers of the world to come among them, the powers of the world came, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's about the word of God. St. John Chrysostom writes... The whole place was shaken, and that left them all the more unshaken. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. It gives us strength. It causes endurance. It prepares the way as God leads, as God protects, as his hand goes forth with the gospel. 
to make life. Prayer. We depend upon him with our whole hope. We cling, we rest to him with confidence, and we continually draw near to the Lord. Prayer is the chief means of drawing grace from the throne of God, where we receive mercy, find help for this sad world. And may this church, I pray, be a house of prayer. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.